and welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and for this episode, we're joined by my friend, Aura Vasquez. Aura was born and raised in Colombia and then in New York City. She became an activist working with the Beyond Coal campaign with the Sierra Club. She became a commissioner for Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. And later, she became a city council candidate for the, for the city of Los Angeles. Aura is clearly on the go. Welcome to the Net Positive Podcast, Aura. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's start off with today, and then let's then we'll double back to your life. But what is what's what's on the docket today? Like, what are you working on these days? Like today in particular. This week has been uh, really busy in Los Angeles, and I I also want to just maybe say even this month, which is only been eleven days. There's a, a big push now to electrify or decarbonize buildings in Los Angeles. So uh, right now there are two ordinances that are uh, dedicated for how uh, one of them, how we get to decarbonize or electrify LA. And the other one is decarbonizing new buildings. So making sure that all new buildings are EV ready, are solar ready, and that don't have any um, you know, fossil fuel and uh, as part of the construction. And then on Tuesday, the um, LA Board of Supervisors is also introducing a motion around decarbonization. So it's, like, it's exciting. It, it feels like LA is finally trying to tackle climate change in many different fronts. And, you know, I sometimes like to use the metaphor as a cake. If climate change is a wedding cake, like a huge cake, you know, think about Many, many floors of cake, of, of, you know, of, of cake. Uh, this will be a little piece that you'll get to, to kind of finish, you know, this huge uh, local and global problem that we have with uh, the current climate emergency. That's fantastic. I, I love your, I love the idea of a, of a cake. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, never would have thought of that. So your creativity is already shining through. But now your your role when you talk about these uh, these council actions, these county board of supervisor actions, are you right there testifying? Are you are you lobbying using your awkward pressure, kind of trying to make it happen? Yeah. So I am the chair of the climate action committee for the Sierra Club Angeles chapter. So for our local chapter, I also sit in the executive board. So a big emphasis for us has been the electrification, building electrification, and specifically in construction. And um, so in that capacity, I call, I, I, I'm part of a statewide coalition, a local coalition. As you know, I'm also a former commissioner for uh, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. And in my days as a commissioner, I also learned so much, uh, you know, about how our utility works and what and even how um, in the utility space, we think about providing a service and also being good stewards to our planet. So, so I, I get to combine all of that experience now in my capacity as a, as a chair for, the, for, for this committee for the climate action. And I'm also involved in so many other you know, efforts. I'm a delegate with the Democratic Party and I'm part of their you know, environmental caucus and and also, I don't know how I don't know how you do it all. You you <laughs> you look completely rested, uh, completely alive and lively, and without any stress strain on you. And then you have all these 
things that you've done. But let's 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 double all the way back. There you were. You okay. grew up in Colombia, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, as I was looking at some of your bio materials, it sounded like you were a little kid and you got you heard about climate change, and you said, "I've got to do something about that." And ever since then, you've been doing something about it. So how did you start off in Colombia? You were a little kid. And what did you do when you were there? So, so, you know, I was I was born and raised in a small town outside of a bigger city. So my family and I are from from Cali and and Cali is like probably the third or fourth city, the biggest city in Colombia now. And my parents are from a little town called Candelaria. So I spend a lot of time there with my, you know, with my with my family. But my parents were also really involved people. You know, we we grew up we grew up going to, you know, doing toy drives and and books and and notebooks and like, you know, collecting things for kids that didn't have enough money to buy what they needed to attend school. My parents working after school programs, my parents, um, you know, fundraise for, you know, all, all sorts of things in 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 our area. And particularly, I grew up in in just kind of understanding environmental justice in a very different way that the way that we perceive it here in the United States, because so much of our economy back home depends on agriculture, especially in the cultivation and production of sugar Uh, that, you know, I grew up all around us, like seeing uh, plantations of sugar cane being burned. And, and, you know, and communities being affected by air pollution because of because of uh, the production of sugarcane. And what was interesting is that I, I grew up listening to my family complain about these issues and, and complain about the smells. And, and we all had sinuses and allergies and asthma, you know, and and the power that the corporations had that was so strong. And, I, you know, and I just remember hearing my parents say, but, you know, they're the ones that provide jobs and they're here. And it's no different with the fossil fuel industry right now here. For example, take West Virginia, where a whole community depends on coal, are dependable on something that is so damaging for them and for our planet. So, you know, so when I saw that show at 11 years old and I saw a, a show about the ozone layer and I learned about climate change and, and you know, and, and in those days it was global warming. You know, so they talked about the damage to to the ozone layer and how that was causing the, the earth to warm up. So it was it was it wasn't an, a, a, something as strange in my mind because I have grown up seeing so much em, em, environmental degradation in my, you know, in my town. And I have experienced it myself, uh, you know, as a child uh, with, you know, with like uh, respiratory illnesses. So. You know, I was also that child that learned how to read and write when I was four years old and I graduated from high school when I was 15. So, you know, I was always kind of very advanced and I always felt a very great um, sense of um, responsibility for giving back and also for um, for giving people a voice that traditionally didn't have one, because that's kind of what I saw in my family, even, even them to me, you know, I was born in the seventies. I'm, I'm 43 years old. And, and I kind of came in that time where the, uh, feminist, uh, movement was 
kind of becoming, you know, something more practical for a lot of women. So I always say that I grew up with a mom that was a, a feminist, but she just didn't know or she never called herself, you know, a feminist because I was always allowed to speak with the other boys. I was always actually asked for my opinion often in, uh, you know, in meetings that they hosted or such. So I was always very encouraged to also be treated as equal as, as men, which, you know, Latin America has its own challenges with patriarchy. And I it's still, we still deal with that, uh, you know, legacy, but I just, I was very lucky that I was in a home where I was very encouraged to just kind of step up and, and be a leader. Very interesting. And then you, and then you came to New York when you were 18 or seven, 17 or 18. And what, what prompted the move? What, what made your family move uh, to New York at that time? So, yeah, so there were a couple of things. Number one, we were living in Colombia in the, you know, narcos era. And it was a very challenging time for in, in many different fr uh, fronts. Politically, Colombia was going through something so disturbing, you know, where, uh, you know, the cartels were fueling the economy with incredible amount of cash and they were influencing politics so much. There was a lot of tension with the United States and the war on drugs, which exacerbated actually the problem internally, domestically in Colombia more. So, you know, I was 15 years old, graduating from college, I mean, from high school and going to college. And I have to stop and, and, and ask myself, because a lot of the people that I, you know, a lot of the people that I grew up with are dead, whether they were involved in, you know, illicit businesses or they were just caught up on a war where a lot of innocent people just die, you know. And, and for my family and I, we had to make the decision to just leave the country also because of our, you know, political stance. So we came to New York and I was 18 uh, when we moved. And I also, from a very young age, I also understood that women like myself, and even now when I go back home, my, my aunts, they, they like to remind me very gently that, you know, that I'm in a whole other place where violence is an everyday currency. And, and they like to remind me that people like me oftentimes don't make it home at night meaning activists, uh, outspoken people, people that speak against maybe, um, you know, certain issues of national interest. And um, so I, I just knew that I needed to, to, to kind of find a place where I could be, I could just be more myself and be, and feel safe. So that's why my family and I came to, came to New York and, and I went to college in New York. Yeah. And did you live right in Manhattan? Yeah, I live. I live. When we got to New York, we lived in 28th Street and Second Avenue, and then I mostly lived in the city. My parents went to move in, to Queens. Very typical. A lot of Colombians uh, live in Queens. They, they, we have like our Jackson Heights is basically the Colombian neighborhood there. And um, I went to school in Lima. And I study political science. Before political science, I went to school for pre med for a couple of years. And um, yeah, and I graduated from college and went to and went to work for a Congress member in in New York. 
that was sort of the beginning of your professional activist career, I guess, at that point. Uh, so you worked for him for a while, and then and then what happened? So I worked for 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 Engel for for uh, for Congressmember Engel Elliot in and I I just really realized how much I dislike politics. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> Surprisingly, because 20 years later, I ran for office myself. So, no. but, but, you know, I, my family and I came to New York. We had a very immigrant experience. It, I was undocumented for a really long time before I was able to adjust my status in this country. And, and I just felt that him and a lot of other Congress people, Congress members didn't were not doing anything for people like myself. So just also working in the office and seeing what Congress members, at least back in the late 90s, early 2000s do, was heartbreaking. You know, we had in those days, we had a very big influx of uh, refugees from Eastern Europe. And we could alleviate a lot of immigrant rights issues if we had a better immigration policy in this country, uh, which we have not been able to kind of have bipartisan support for like, for example, comprehensive immigration reform. But instead we, uh, we give asylum to some folks, some people come, some people make it, some people don't. And the, and the Congress office just has a, a, a large volume of cases where you just try to help people find, you know, their way through the system. So now that that work is not important, and I very soon became very popular in our office because I deeply care about, you know, finding people's green cards and such because I went through something very similar. But we could also alleviate the bigger problem, the bigger systemic problem, but we don't. So for me, it was quite painful to work in, 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 the, um, in the consequence of the lack of action from, you know, from Congress. So I saw it every day and I saw my boss go from committee to committee and, and, and you know, and read briefings and write briefings and, and, and realize that it felt a little pointless, mm-hmm. uh, at least in my heart. And, um, and, you know, I, I worked there for a couple of years and I left to, to find something that was more fulfilling and where I felt that I was giving people power to kind of advocate for themselves. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't then a community organizer yet. I was just kind of coming to understand that that was the role that I really wanted to be in. But I didn't realize that until... Many years later, when I, I, I heard Obama talked about being a community organizer. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of let's, what inspired me to, yeah. to, to kind of get on that career. Well, let's go out of sequence then just for fun. I mean, you, 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 you brought this up. I mean, you, you saw you were frustrated by the political, what you saw, the inside view you had of politics and the government. But then 20 years later, you ran for city council uh, in Los Angeles, which is like no small feat. Uh, and you almost you almost made it through the primaries. I mean, you were really pretty close in that second position. What what changed that made you feel like you could 
handle politics after having that very negative view of uh, the government before? Well, so the the difference here is that politics, I feel that our lo politics are local. The best chances that you have to enact bigger and broader change is when you work locally. So that was the difference for me. And I had just come out of 10 years of being a community organizer and understanding that if not one of us was going to step up and run to try to bring change, so then we were going to see the same thing over and over and career politicians winning and people understanding the process really well and making it that have no vision and no aspiration other than, you know, their own self, you know, interest. And that's kind of what happened in, in, in my race. I mean, look, we had a career politician, 30 years, over 30 years of, of, of being in politics and, and for a lot of people, an institution in the African-American community. And, and, you know, now he's being indicted, 22 counts, the FBI, we don't have a city council member. And, and this is the kind, of, the kind of challenge that we have right now in 2022 after the pandemic and how we can offer people a different option uh, than what, we, what they already know. But, you know, politics is so much more than giving people options. In fact, it plays a very little role, in, in my opinion. It, a lot of it is how much people do you know? Who is your donor base? Who is, uh, who's really going to support you? And I'm um, and as an environmentalist, as a climate justice advocate, um, I have to say that we enviros are not quite there yet. <laughs> you know, we still have a lot, a lot, a lot more to go and a lot more to learn how to play the political game. And, and also really what is it's like for us as environmentalists to stand in solidarity with people when they're taking these huge commitments and these huge roles and supporting them to get, uh, you know, to the finish line. I think that's important to, to highlight because I, you know, I've seen a lot of environmental candidates that do well. I was not, I mean, I, I did quite well, but I was not one of them. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard to predict other than, you know, we tried our best. Certainly salute, certainly salute you for doing that. And I think maybe you'll come back and do it again. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised, but, but you were, I like what you said about you were really, you almost bubbled up to the surface. It, it was almost a natural thing. You'd been be embroiled in, I, I think, the Beyond Coal campaign. You'd been really involved for at least a do dozen years uh, on that very successful campaign with the Sierra Club. Somebody had to rise up and to be that voice and to carry it forward. Um, talk about that. Talk about your years with, with the Beyond Coal campaign. And, and I mean, it, it almost feels like it's all in the rearview mirror, right? We're, we're kind of, we're beyond it, at least here in California. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I feel like I can write a book for the past 10 years of green energy in, in L.A., through, that, through the lens of being part of the Sierra Club and working in the Beyond Coal campaign which when I was recruited to come and work for the campaign, I, you know, they, the Sierra Club contacted me and said, well, you know, we heard you speak. You, you actually do a lot of work with immigrants and other places like Orange County, which is like who wants to work with immigrants. 
or in immigrant rights in Orange County. I don't know. I'm probably the only one. And, and they say to me, come and bring some of that experience here because we have a campaign, but we don't have a diverse campaign and we need a diverse set of stakeholders in order for us to, to be successful. And I will never forget that my first week working with the Sierra Club, I went to a city council meeting uh, where Richard Alarcon was one of the city council members. Tony Cardenas was another city council member and Paul Coretz. And they were in the what used to be called the Energy and Environment Committee. And, um, and I showed up to, you know, to that committee uh, with a fellow Sierra Club, uh, former colleague of mine, Evan Gillespie. So we both get there and we wanted to talk to them, obviously, about getting the city off of coal because they're, you know, that's kind of their jurisdiction. And I just will never forget Tony Cardenas yelled at us and told us that we didn't care about Latinos or his community in the Valley. And that we just wanted to make energy more expensive and that we were racist. So, you know, I stood there and I said, hi, my name is Aura Vasquez. It's good to meet you. <laughs> and, and, you know, that was just such a, it, it, it was, to me, it was such a great metaphor to what was coming for us. You know, it was a great prep. I, I am grateful to Tony Cardenas today because he really put me in, in two feet on the ground to, to really understand the dynamics that we were going through in 2010, 12 years ago, eh, embarking on this campaign. And, and to ask people to understand that we were going to take on the largest companies in the world that we were asking to decommission and to retire the largest coal, coal, um, coal plant in the West, which was Navajo Generating Station, set on, on, um, you know, on indigenous land, was something that was incomprehensible for so many people. We have to knock so many doors and ask and speak about it so many times to people and help them understand that in those days we were sending $500, $500 million out of state to buy dirty fuel to bring to, to L.A., and, um, and, and it, was, it was exciting to see years later the campaign succeed. And it was exciting that we took a good um, momentum, political momentum from, you know, Mayor Garcetti was running for mayor in those days. And he committed to take this goal very seriously and to, and to help us uh, help, you know, DWP change. And, you know, eventually I became a commissioner for DWP, which was, I think, a huge win for us in, in the environmental movement and the environmental justice movement for me to, to, to kind of be there and be able to continue pushing for other goals. So, so then taking, getting LA off of coal to getting LA, LA off all fossil fuels, what became really possible. And, you know, I, I had the, the, the opportunity to vote for retiring the three coastal gas plants that made LA, made it real to LA to get to 100% renewable energy. So, yes, that, that, that campaign was so monumental in so many ways. 
And it's, I know it feels that it's so far removed, but it's, it, it was actually just 10, 12 years ago. And, and it was just so um, monumental for, for Los Angeles and for, and for so many other people that I see doing this work now, you know, and, 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 and that have participated from, from the beginning, which you all be so proud. Congratulations. I mean, what a, what a great, what a great period and what a great involvement you had. And, and as you, as you talked about it, we've sort of gone from beyond coal to now looking at, you know, getting to, to zero net carbon. And as you started off the conversation, talked about building decarbonization. Uh, we just in the, this, this transition to a sustainable future is happening so fast out of necessity. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, two final questions for you. What's next for you? I know you're really involved in building decarbonization, but I, I hear this also, this, this strength in, in a political future. So what, what's next for, in the life of Aura Vasquez? Yeah, so one thing that I want to really continue pushing forward is now we have all these policies in place. Show me the money. I want to see all these projects done. I want to see cooling centers in Los Angeles being powered by microgrids. I want to see all new buildings being EV ready because more than half of the people that live in Los Angeles are renters. I'm a renter. And if I want to adapt to electrical vehicles, I've got to make sure that I have somewhere to plug my car, you know, and, and, and be able to like charge it. So I want to make sure that for, for those communities, for, for all of us, that maybe are not your traditional, you know, we don't have a home, so we don't have a, a, a roof to put our solar panels, you know. How, how are we going to make sure that half of our city are going to enjoy the benefits of renewable energy? So that's next. And I think this decarbonization, electri electrifying Los Angeles, is going to mitigate some of that. I also want communities that have been most burdened with pollution and with climate change to be the first ones to be benefited. We need to get better at, at, at being more equitable and, and understanding the behavior and the patterns that are very different than more affluent, affluent people in our community. So that's, that's another thing that I, I, I want to do. I, wanna, I need to take back my garden. My garden is completely, <laughs> this winter, my garden really suffers. So I, need to, I need to bring it back. I need to grow my corn and I, all those things that I grow in the backyard. And, um, and, and just making sure that sustainability is, at the, is, is intersectional in all of the things that we do you know, here in Los Angeles. So I don't know politically what's going to happen. I mean, you know, only only the only time will tell. But I can tell you that I mean, my work with uh, with the Beyond Coal, getting Beyond Gas, and and making sure that now that we can create jobs and that we can get it really hyper local and 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 see the fruit of all of this work that so many of us, you know, have been working uh, towards for so long. Well put. What um, what do you do to keep balance in your life? Now you mentioned the garden, so that sounds I, I can relate to that. But what else, what else do you do to keep balance? You look you look balanced. You look healthy. What's going on? I dance a lot <laughs> in between meetings. I play music and I dance. And I'll show you. I'm going to turn around my so you can see. But you see, I have a disco ball in the window. <laughs> <laughs> I go. I spin the disco ball. I dance. I also go out in nature a lot. Um, 
I actually talk in my in my social media a lot about people getting to the outdoors. So I show people how to do it, whether they want a camp or they want a car camp. I show lots of tricks about sleeping in your car in nature, you know, and going to more remote places so you can backpack. I go to a lot of hot springs. I love, love, love. So at least every six weeks, I'm taking maybe like a short weekend off or something so that I can go out in nature. I practice meditation, yoga, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and I really try to just deep breaths <laughs> like all, all day. The other thing that self-care and wellness is best when you are practicing it throughout the day and all the time. I think people, people, or most people tend to, well, I'm going to take two weeks vacation in, in June. And that is great. But I feel like in, for me, what works to have a much more balanced lifestyle is to kind of weave it in my schedule and, and try to, you know, I have some really beautiful people in my life too. And and I enjoy a lot of time alone too, you know, like I read my books and I try to be alone because I'm, I'm like so social with everything that I do. So some time alone is important, but dancing is very important too. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. Hey, listen, you are, you're inspiring. Uh, and I really appreciate this time talking to you and just carry on. I, I'm impressed by you. And uh, I thank you for this time together. Appreciate you so much. And you and I, you were very involved in the Bioco campaign too. So you kudos to you because you have been uh, an incredible also supporter. And even with the work that you do now with your company, with Ecomotion, uh, you, you're also making sure that a lot of the, the policies are actually happening in, in real time and real life. Yeah, it's a big, big team effort, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Aura. All right, we'll talk soon. Take care. Okay, bye. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of The Net Positive. We'll see you next time. Thank you.